Well, today, Y'all have a good lunch? Yes. Oh, there are so many people today. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> We're still thinking of finding a smaller room. Huh? new on my life, anybody who is on my life who has not introduced herself before? Ah, have you introduced yourself before? Yeah, you have? No? Ah. Tell us your name and how you got to know about this group. My name is Cindy and I get on YouTube. Ah, sorry? Oh, you watch the YouTube? Ah, I see. When do, when do you watch the YouTube? End of last year. So the gestation process takes about three to four months. <laughs> uh, so did you watch the full length of the excerpt? Oh. Uh, then you link, 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 link. Ah, okay. Very good. Welcome, welcome. How about the gentleman and uh, just next to you? Uh, have you? Yes. yes. Um, yeah, actually, uh, this is the first time uh, we came over here. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, before that, actually, early on, I attended a meditation class. Ah, uh-huh. uh, uh, I see. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so tell us your name. Uh, Wiki. Wiki. Yeah. Uh, very good. Welcome. And uh, who do you come with? Uh, your wife. What is your wife's name? Let her answer. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Uh, on my left, who else? Uh, you all have to be honest. Uh, the Buddha is behind the screen. <laughs> Uh, who, any, anybody on my on the left side of the of the aisle who has uh, not introduced herself yet? Huh? Anyone? Uh, later I'll walk around and if if I see that you are new, you fatan. <laughs> no, just kidding. Okay, let's see. Uh, so that I see someone shippishly laughing over on my life, uh, wondering whether she can escape. Huh? Has she introduced? Introduced before or not? Huh? Introduced before, huh? Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, so I have to introduce again. Welcome back, welcome back. Okay, the rest I presume are season parking holders. Uh, is this gentleman or a lady? 
uh, like suddenly everybody is, is crouching lower than each other. Uh, at first all sitting upright for meditation. Then now that I'm looking around, all crouching, crouching, crouching. Help me look around. There's this uh, person who looks like we're waiting for you all to pass him or her the mic. I don't know who, which one. Uh, you, you just pass down. Uh, just pass down the mic. Whoever haven't said hello before, say. Ah, hello. Ah, I see. Ah, okay. Good. Welcome, welcome. Who else? Anybody else? Okay, if not, we move on already. Uh. Uh, then later, if I catch you, uh, you fart on. Uh. Uh, quick, la, don't waste time. Uh. Come on, come on. <laughs> right? Yes. Ah, okay, good. Yes. And by the way, for those of you who are uninitiated, by far is not some some uling uh, meets here. <laughs> Uh, the full title is Da Chen Bai Fa Ming Men Lun. And the Bai is actually Bai. Yi Bai the Bai. Yi Bai ge Fa. So the hundred Dhammas. So it is the uh, it is considered part of the Chinese Abhidhamma text. Yeah, we just concluded. Uh, it lasted the class was uh, ongoing for about one year and three to four months. Yeah, so quite a long stretch. Uh, but it's considered a, a smaller commentary. Yeah, <laughs> one of the smaller commentary, shorter commentary. Mm. Okay, who else? How about on my right? On the, my left, the sun covering her face, it, it, have she, has he or she introduced it? Uh, yeah, introduced before now. Uh, the one with the yeah. Cannot run one la see if you can see one. <laughs> one time gao tip side. Ah your mother. Same thing I see. <laughs> okay, welcome, welcome. Okay. Okay, coming to you, coming to you. Okay, coming to you, okay. How about on my right? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, one one person. Okay, the rest don't get to talk already. Okay, right? Tell us your name. Hello? Ah, so ah, so Mangala Vihara. Yeah. I see. So today, because uh, being held at Bodhis Library, which is quite nearby, so I rushed over. Oh, held at where? It's more of the attending classes at Mangala Vihara. Oh, okay. So uh, today, because this SGC. SGC? SGC? Yeah. Uh huh. Quite nearby. Ah. Ah. Okay. Don't worry. Next few weeks is also here. You can also slowly rush over. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. 
Okay, I think that settles it, huh? Because we got to prepare for death. <laughs> All right, welcome to SGC, where we have short uh, puja, short sitting, and uh, not so short dharma sharing, and a lot of baby crying. <laughs> now this is a. Okay, let me try to fight with with him for attention. So some of you. Uh, during the sitting and throughout the sessions over the past one year, would have uh, noticed that uh, in SGC, we explicitly uh, have kids explicitly allow them to be uh, in the hall. Yeah. Uh, how many of you were a bit disturbed when you were sitting and the baby was crying? Okay, we have two, three, four... Yeah, just raise your hand, come on. Be honest. How many of you were disturbed by the by the crying? Well, the rest not disturbed, huh? Okay, baby, continue crying, please. <laughs> now, if you were uh, remotely disturbed or affected, don't worry, that's normal. Yeah, that's normal. It's normal for the baby to cry, yeah, because the baby can't really talk yet. Yeah? can talk a bit, but half the time don't know what he wants to say also. So cry. That's normal. Where are you all going? Kai Wan Xiao. Where are you going also? People go toilet, you go toilet. <laughs> Next person have to wait for them to come back. <laughs> There's only two toilets below. Two female, one male. Yeah. But male you can have a few more persons to pee together. Yeah. So like just as the baby it's normal for the baby to be like that. For toddlers to be like that. Likewise, when adults you drink, you eat, then you need to pee and shit. That's normal. Yeah, that is part of life. So, in the SGC classes, uh, as much as we can, uh, I have been uh, advising parents to let their kids be part of the, the community, to learn Dharma together, to be part of the process together. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, sometimes when we are in a certain setting, we want to have a quiet environment. Yeah. Uh, for example, when we are we are having exams, yeah, we want to test uh, the students how well they understand their subjects, yeah, and and not necessarily how well they perform under stress from the crying of babies, yeah. So, so likewise, uh, when we have certain uh, programs where it's quite intensified and we wish for participants uh, to capture and learn certain techniques. Then we may uh, have certain ambience yeah, and certain environment uh, set up. But for SGC, why do we have kids? Yeah, because SGC is for all ages. The Dharma is for all ages. Yeah? And this is life. Temples shouldn't become an artificial environment where it is serene artificially. Your life is not always like a temple, you know, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure you know. Unless you stay in a temple, yeah. 
In a, in a temple, we are used to everybody keeping quiet, yeah? having no noise. Yeah? Close the door softly. Yeah? Everybody must smile each other. Amitofo. Yeah? Not happy, Amitofo. Happy, Amitofo. Yeah? Uh, so, in a way, that is good. Yeah? Give us a, a solace from, a reprieve from our weekly uh, torrent of stress, you know. But in a way, uh, that becomes artificial peace. Yeah. And as a result, sometimes for some people, you may start to experience a disconnect. A disconnect from what we call the real world. Where when you come for SGC or you go to a temple, oh, it's so serene and so blissful. Om. <laughs> yeah. And then when you go back, then you look at your house, then you look at your family and your children, then you ah, so irritating. So there are some people who end up spending more and more time in the temple, then they become monks. <laughs> yeah, but that's not what happened to Sifu. Yeah? Yeah, that's not what happened to Sifu. Yeah, I didn't do that. Yeah, I, I made it very clear that at that point in time, that was not my choice. Yeah, but at some point, I decided, okay, I want to do this. But for some people, uh, while they hope to have the serenity of the temple, but they don't have the means to that serenity outside the temple. So they end up with this fantasized idea that, oh, if I were to ordain and become a monk or nun, if I can maybe do that, then I can be oh, really peaceful. But yet, at the same time, they wanted to have the freedom and the, uh, all the perks uh, as a lay person. So they end up straddling both sides. Yeah, so we call that <laughs> yeah. So, uh, SGC is a bit different. Yeah, as you can see from the puja, we have a, a hybrid of Theravada Pali chanting and then also Chinese Mahana uh, chanting. Yeah, but not too much. Yeah, not too much. Just enough to give you a flavor. Yeah. So when we do our sitting and we hear the kids, yeah, uh, we have to recognize that yeah, this is part of life. Yeah, this is part of life. Sometimes you get quiet. Yeah, like the baby is not screaming throughout the whole session. Also, you scream, then stop. Scream, then stop. Uh, and that's the thing about life that is that is sometimes quite. Oh, gets to us, you know, because it's uncertain. If you know when the baby is going to scream, you won't be so affected, I think. It's because the baby scream whenever he wants to scream. You see, now he don't want to scream. <laughs> yeah? So, the, the, the thing about life is this, you know, the uncertainty of life. And one of the uncertainty of life is death. Although we say that it's uncertain, but actually death is quite certain. Yeah? Is any of you uncertain whether you'll die? Like, no, Sifu, uh, I'm not so sure, you know. Like, um, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is still alive, like, 700 years old already. <laughs> huh? So I'm not so sure if my family, some of us don't die or no. Uh, if, it's, if, if you are one of those, who belong to this category, let me know, okay? Yeah, see me after class. But for most of us, it's not like that. Yeah. And when I say most of us, I mean like all of us. Uh, death is quite certain. 
What is uncertain is when it will happen. Yeah. So today's uh, session, we're going to touch on how to face death. Yeah. Maybe that's why today so many people turn up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, how to face death, lie, lie, lie. Oh. Actually, I was thinking, um, after choosing the topic, I was thinking, actually, I don't know how to face death. Uh. But I've been doing things that maybe help me to face it. So I thought maybe I can share with you what I've been doing and what I see and hear other people doing. First and foremost, um, because death happens to all of us, it's a matter of whether we want to face it or not. It's not a matter of whether we have to face it or not. And if we can get that across, that's the first thing we have to keep in mind. It's not whether you need to or want to face it, we all have to face it. Yeah. Uh, but death can be split into two parts. The first part is our own death. Yeah. The second part is the death of our loved ones. Mm. Yeah. Death of our loved ones. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so that is the the elderly gentleman sitting there. Uh, that is my father, my dear father. Uh, so today, finally, I see him without his without most of his hair dyed. Yeah, for years I've been telling my father and my mother, "Don't dye your hair, please don't dye your hair." Yeah. <laughs> My father is laughing, <laughs> smiling. Yeah, I tell them, don't dye your hair. Then my mother said, Ayah, Sifu. Yeah. I think I told you even before I become a monk. Huh? Yeah, so back then, that's it. Ayah. You know, so, but I explained to them, I'm not a person to, to suggest or to ask people to do things without telling them why. I told them, I said, by dyeing your hair, you give your children a false sense of youth. Although you are already 50, 60 years old, back then, now they are both 70s. Yeah, my father is 76 or 77. 80? Well, how do you eat 78? How did he become 78 suddenly? Huh? Which year was he born in? So this year, 2018 or 19? This year is 2018, right? So, born in 1941, right? So? So? (laughs) I don't know which part of the world you come from, but... (laughs) Anyway, 70-something. Yeah. So back then, they were about in their 50s. And I told, I told my mother, I said, when you dye your hair, it gives your children a false sense of youth. Because to begin with, their face uh, don't really look that old. So when they dye their hair, then it makes them look even younger than they are. And so... 
When that happens, where are you going? Going toilet also. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. Next time they don't have to come back. <laughs> so, oh, this is so good. I get toilet bung done. Kai wan xiao. Think about it. Those of you who are in the late in your late forties or fifties, late fifties. Yeah. And especially if you have children. If you are single and trying to you know, settle down, uh, but I mean you need to dye your hair and 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 uh pian pian sisi, pian 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 But if you do that, you have to be careful, uh, then you have to ask yourself, is if you dye your hair in order to attract someone, then you've got to be careful, no? You better not forget to dye your hair. You better hope that the person go beyond your hair and cherish you and value you as a person beyond the color of your hair. Because otherwise, otherwise the person may just drop you like a fly or a potato or a hot potato the moment your hair turns grey. But that would be sad, isn't it? That isn't love. Yeah. So why do we go after that? But for my parents, it's not because they're trying to attract us. Yeah. Um, easy for me to say what I'm saying. But I think um, it's not easy for people to accept the truth that they are growing old. While, while sometimes they would say that, oh, because, yeah, uh, it, it seems like it's because of what people think. Yeah. But I, over the years, I realized that it's less about that. It's actually more about how it's not easy for individuals to accept that our bodies are failing. There was once in, once or twice, one incident, two incidents, uh, two incidences in U.S. when I was in a monastery. There was once a senior monk told me, he said, hey, there's something wrong with your eye. Your eye is like a bit off there. And my, my immediate response was, no, what, no, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> and he was, um, in retrospect, genuinely concerned because he was concerned, uh, he wasn't trying to say that I'm cock eye, you know. <laughs> okay, I don't know. If I'm cock eye, please tell me now. <laughs> but he was concerned whether I'm having any vitamin deficiency that can cause the, some of the, the muscular control, the motor control to go a bit off. And so those are signs of the mineral or vitamins, uh, vitamin deficiency. But... At that moment, I noted how I responded and I was quite taken aback that, huh, I'm actually, you know, I didn't expect myself to be like that. But then I realized that it's because for the most part, I'm, I've been young and healthy, so I didn't have to face um, people passing comments about my health. You know? Uh, then I realized, oh, this is how people feel when other people say, hey, are you okay or not? You don't look so well. And it explains why, perhaps, for some people, why they would be like, oh no, I'm okay, I'm okay. You know? Or that 
most Chinese, we are we're not ready to tell people if we fall sick. Yeah. Perhaps it's because we don't want to deal with it. And if we and we may unconsciously think that by not thinking about it it will just go away. But OH doesn't just go away because we don't think about it. Death don't just take a break. Yeah, because we decide to not pay any attention. It is that. Since birth, we are all uh, charmed or cursed with this uh, death penalty. Yeah. We, are, we are stuck in this samsara with this, uh, in a way, like a curse. But on the other hand, um, it is not a curse. It is just part and parcel of life. It is the fact that just as when we have this um, sumptuous buffet earlier, yeah, the buffet must come to an end. Can you, can you get upset with the end of the buffet? I mean, you can, but that would be illogical. Yeah? To want to start eating but not want to end eating. That's how kids are like. Yeah? When they start something, they want to just continue doing that forever. Yeah? At least that's how I was like when I was a kid. When I watch television, I don't want to stop. And I will watch until the, 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 tele- the, the broadcast station um, stop. And then they play the Marikata. Yeah. And I'll still watch that. I'll watch. And I'll watch until it finished. And then it shows the test card. And then it has that. And then I'll still watch that. And I'll watch until that also goes away. And then it comes with the static. And then I'll switch to the next channel. And I'll continue watching. Yes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I would do that whenever I'm allowed to or whenever I get to do it. Of course, at home, I was not allowed to do that because we were required when we were young to sleep before around 8 o'clock. Yeah. And then at 8 o'clock, there was the news so I asked for an extension yeah, to watch 8 o'clock news. Yeah. Among my siblings, I was the, I was the union leader. Yeah, I would go up to my mom and ask for a concession. So I managed to fight for the rights of me and my siblings to stay up, to just stay awake, as though that, that is the most important thing to do, until 8.30. And then at 8.30, there was the Tiao Tian San Sifen, so I again uh, bargain with my mom that, you know, that is current affairs. That's important. We need to know. Said, okay, sure, we can watch that. So latest was nine, and then we'll sleep. We are in many ways like that, you know. Uh, we cherish life, and we don't want it to come to an end. Yeah. But death is part of life. 
the Buddha saw for himself that whatever dies must have been born and whatever that has been born must one day die. This is something that is not observed just by the Buddha really, but he is the first one who observed this and saw that there was no other way around it. He saw that that is the way things are. There are many other people, many other civilizations, schools of thoughts and even religion that knows that people die. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know. Yeah? In all cultures, there is the word death. So it's not, it's not really a mystery. It's not a surprise. It's not something that is new. Yeah? Yes, Buddhism is one of the few religions that kind of harps on it. We have suttas around it. We have reflections around death. Yeah. But perhaps it's because throughout history, we are usually in denial. Yeah. We do not want to think about it, talk about it. Yeah. Chinese especially. In earlier cultures, we, we even have the numbering system altered, such that there's no level 4 in some buildings. Because... The word, the, the number four yeah, in Chinese, in almost all the dialects, it sounds like the word death. Yeah? Si and si. Just a slight difference in tone. Yeah? Say and say. Say, say. Say, say for a say. That is some say. Same, ah? Is it the same? Canto? Say, ah, say. Say and say. Just a slight bit, nook. Cannot, cannot. So, death. Two parts, our own and others. The Buddha said, those who indulge in the senses, namely eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, in the physical senses, those who indulge in that, When, when they see aging arrive, they start to fret, they start to tremble, they start to feel anxious. You may go to the toilet. <laughs> that is so stressful that he has to go and sing now. <laughs> let me assure you, no singing... No form of singing, no amount of singing will allay the death knell. <laughs> and perhaps if we search hard enough, there may be some cultures that have this such a practice where they would sing songs with the belief that it will allay the impending death. The Buddha said, those who indulge in this in the senses, when Aging, when aging is seen, they tremble, they fear, they are anxious. And when they themselves experience it, they grieve. Why do they grieve? Because with the onset of aging, our faculties start to fail. Our eyes, ears, nose, tongue and the body start to fail.
very thankful to my dear father and mother for bringing to life this teaching. <laughs> when I was a child, uh, I would I would spend a lot of time with my mother at home, yeah, because last time we had two sessions, morning and afternoon session. So for half the day, yeah, I would be at home, and I would help my mother with housework, you know, just as all small kids are. Small kids are always very helpful with housework, especially, <laughs> yeah, especially when, especially when they are not able to do it. <laughs> Yeah, human beings are very strange. When, not, when they are not able to do something, they want to do it. But then when they come to a certain age, 12 years old, 13 years old, they are completely capable of doing it. They know how to do it. They don't want to do it. <laughs> human beings are strange. But in some ways, I'm stranger. Because at a young age, I remember many times when, when my mom is ironing the, the clothes on the floor. Yeah, we had this very thick rug. Yeah, thick, um, like blanket thing that my mom used and put on the floor to iron our clothes. Yeah, this is something very special to me. Yeah, and most of you may not understand what I'm talking about, but this is something very special to our family. We use that to iron our clothes, and as she was ironing the clothes, once in a while I look at her, and I tell her, Ma. <laughs> Mom, you have you are, you are old, you have grown old. And mind you, I was in my primary school. That was thirty over years ago. Thirty over maybe thirty eight, thirty nine years ago. So she was merely in her thirties. By any standard not old. Yeah. Now if you ask me I could spin some story about how wise I was, but I wouldn't. Because I have no idea why I said that, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 cannot, I cannot remember why I said that. Yeah. But maybe it's just a habit. I don't know. I like to think that maybe it's a habit. Yeah. Past reflections on aging. In U.S., there was once when I was uh, the duty monk for cooking. I cook up quite a feast, and curry and everything else in between. Yeah, and then my senior monk, Tsuda Fasu, he said, "You are putting a lot of effort to cook a lot of dishes, but do you know something?" I said, "What?" He said, "I'm already fifty years old." He's older than me. I was maybe... Uh, oh, he's that much older than me. <laughs> I was only in my early 30s, so he's like 10 over years older than me. Oh, I didn't realize that he's that much older than me. Yeah, he said that he was already 50. And he said, as a result, his faculties, in particular his, his sense of taste, has dulled tremendously. So no matter how, how well we cook, how much effort we put in, he can't really taste the difference. And I thought, oh. My taste bud has not dulled yet. 
But the funny thing is that you, you don't really know, you know. Because it doesn't just dull over one day. Yeah, it dulls over gradually. And by the time you're aware of it, it's a bit too late. But then it's always too late. You cannot do anything about it anyway. But wait, science is trying very hard to delay this process. Something that the Buddha observed 2,000 over years ago. And he shared that those who indulge in the senses when aging slowly creep over us, our senses will start to dull, and then we would grieve over it. Those who indulge in sensual pleasure. And the reason being, if a person indulges in sensual pleasure and sees sensual pleasure as the only source of pleasure in life, or the main source of pleasure in life, then imagine what will happen to this person when the faculties dull then the main source, if not the only source of happiness, will be taken away, involuntarily, no less, by force. And the worst thing is by an invisible force. If it's taken away by zoping, you can go after zoping. If it's taken away by somebody that you know, you can go after that person. But it's not. That's the worst thing. Because aging is part of who we are part of the nature of this body. This body can give you pleasure, it can give you pain. It can give you neither pleasure nor pain. Given the right conditions, it's young. Given the right conditions, it becomes what we call old. So if you're going to get upset with the body for old age, then you better get upset with the body for giving youth, giving you youth to begin with. Oh, look at how smart he looks today with the built-in suspender that holds up nothing. <laughs> Hello. Hmm. Look at how happy he is. Totally oblivious of the impending aging. <laughs> oh boy. The kind of things that monks do to little kids. Totally mess up their worldview. <laughs> Not really, actually. I think we should, if that is messing up their worldview, we should mess up their worldview because the current worldview that we are brought up with is really messed up. It's really distorted, divorced from reality. Because it's not just aging, sickness as well. But we experience sickness even when we are young. What we don't quite realize is that the sickness... Oh, finish singing already. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, okay. Oh. <laughs> this is the way our body is. So, similar for aging, likewise for sickness. For one who indulges in the sensual pleasures, when they hear about sickness, they are stricken with fear, with anxiety and worry. 
And when it hits them, they grieve. They feel sorrowful. Why? Not just because of the physical pain, but the loss of sensual pleasure. Because when a person is ill, to different degrees, we no longer experience nor are able to enjoy sensual pleasure. And similar to the first person, the first category, if a person has sensual pleasure as the main or the only source of happiness, the only thing that keeps them going, then sickness is a very terrible thing. Even mild sickness, I'm not talking about cancer here yet. Yeah, I'm talking about just a bit of discomfort. The more we are attached to physical pleasure, the more we are affected by its loss. But this body is the way it is. It's not trying to mess up our life. Yeah? This, is, this is the way the body is. And of course then there's death. And death is the final death final nail in the coffin, if you will, the final blow to end it all. For you may recover from illness, and even while old, occasionally there's lapses, yeah? and so- sometimes hey, you wake up, hey, you feel quite okay. you know. But death, once it comes, it comes, and that's that. Death seems rather random. Yeah? Death seems rather random. But it's random only because we do not see the full range of factors and conditions. For, for the enlightened ones who can see the workings of karma, the workings of the elements, then death is but just another process. Nothing random, nothing mysterious, almost as clockwork, as clockwork as anything else in this world. But still, how do we face it? Perhaps the first thing we can do for ourselves, that you can try, don't, don't take my word for it, but try to ask yourself, if you are to, if you are to prepare 10 drawers or 10 boxes, 10 trays, 10 bowls or 10 of some containers. And you ask yourself, what are the 10 things that brings you delight? That makes you makes waking up something exciting to look forward to. And if that is all you can put inside the 10 and you can only put one thing in each of the 10 and you're only limited to 10, what will it be? And if you do this exercise and you find that out of the ten, you have more than five that is basically different forms of, of pursuits and pleasures pertaining to the eye, ears, nose, tongue and the body, 
then you may want to ask yourself, based on what we have discussed of the sutta, is it not true that when old age, sickness and death hits us, then those those components yeah, of pleasure that arise through the senses would be stripped away from us, would be taken away from us by force. Now, the good news is you don't really have to care about this. Now, it seems strange, like, uh, I thought, Sifu, you're trying to convince us to do something about this. No, I'm not trying to convince you. Do not be mistaken that I'm here to convince you of anything. You know why? Because the why is more important. Why am I not trying to convince you of anything? The reason is because when OH, sickness and death comes to each and every one of us, you are the one who is facing it, not me. <laughs> so if you don't want to do anything about it, that's your choice. I'm not in a position yeah, to mandate or to police your life, to decide, no, you must do this, Stephen, you must do that. Yeah? Assuming you must do this, you must not do that. No, it's, I'm not here to do that. Not in Buddhism anyway. I don't know whether there are other schools of thought or religion where there will be someone whose, whose duty, active duty is to come and tell people you must do this, do this or not, not do that. But not in Buddhism. In Buddhism, it's really our choice because ultimately, because ultimately, hold your horses, take it easy. I know it's very exhilarating and there's <laughs> a bit of disconnect because you guys have no idea what what he's laughing over, but I kind of know what he's laughing over. But it's not appropriate to bring it up now. <laughs> totally not appropriate, yeah, but not, not in the vulgar sense, okay? And that's the reality of of our life. That it doesn't matter what other people tell us. What matters is what we do at, at the end of the day. Because ultimately, it is. We ourselves who is going to face aging, sickness and death. And some of us have already faced aging. And all of us have experienced sickness to some extent. But then we are forgetful. We are forgetful. If you are like me, whenever I fall sick, even last time as a lay person, I'll be very reflective. Even more so now. Now, even when I'm having a bit of headache, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> now, even when I'm, I'm, I'm having a bit of backache or like stomachache or some, some bodily discomfort, I'll be like, oh, is this the, the sign that I'm going to die soon? <laughs> so you know how, how you can appear to know the future? Like, keep on telling people you're going to die. One of these days is going to come true. <laughs> and then when it comes true, I'll be known as the monk who foretold his death. <laughs> so I'm going to try doing this every single week. And it's going to be on recording. And then the time when I really die, you all y'all can take that last video and tell people, see, I told you, he knew it was coming. <laughs> but jokes aside, jokes aside, 
Because at the end of the day, we are the one who face it. And yet, when, when we fall sick, I say that I'm forgetful. Why? Because when I fall sick, I'll be all like, oh, okay. You know, when I'm, when I'm well, I also do my practices, but when I'm not well, all the more I want to do practices. It's like the small kid, you know, when you can do it, you want to do it. When you cannot do it, you want to do it. <laughs> but I like to think that that's not so bad. Because at least when I'm not feeling well, I don't start to think, yeah, why so sway? Instead, I think, ah, this is a sign of, this is one of the messenger. Let me, let me put in more effort to practice. Let me uh, cherish my, my time. And I'll tell you, aging, no, sickness. Sickness is a very powerful teacher. Some of you may have heard me say it before. You have a lot of wisdom when you're sick. Why? Because when you're sick, you don't have the energy to go and quarrel with people. Now, I know you all know that one uncle or auntie who, when, even when they are so sick in the bed, they still quarrel with people. But most of us are not like that. Most of us, when we are sick, then we learn how to prioritize. We, we, no, we don't learn. We just know how to prioritize. When you are sick and someone sends you a nasty message, and you, you receive a message and you see the message and you're like, ah, okay, that's okay, that's okay. And to me, that's a lot of wisdom, isn't it? Unfortunately, this wisdom is usually only with us when we are sick. When we are well again, oh, which message, which message? <laughs> we forget. Yeah. So I say, make good use of sickness to begin with. Yeah. Starting from the 10 boxes, and you ask yourself, what do you want to do with that? Again, I'm not here to tell you what you should do, but if I were you, and if you were to not want to, you know, in investment, yeah, in a corporate world investment, they say don't put all your eggs in the same basket. Yeah, it's the same concept. If you put all your happiness in one same basket, if it's possible, there are 10 baskets, uh, but the 10 baskets are all tied to one industry, the industry of sensual pleasure. <laughs> yeah? So although they, are, they all look different, but they're all tied to the same, same headquarters, you know? And as long as it's tied in that way, then you are basically hedging all your investment of your time, your life, your money, everything, you know? Think about it. All the sensual pleasures, all the pursuits we, we go after in our life requires, they don't come free. Yes, you have your eyes, ears, nose, stomach and body. But just with that, you cannot enjoy it. You need to pursue something to give it that stimulus. You have to spend your life, your time, in other words. Time is your life, life is your time. And then you have to spend money, which is from your life also. So all in, you're spending your life to enjoy life. And yet this enjoyment, if not undertaken prudently, would lead to fear, anxiety, sorrow, anguish. 
So think about it. Should you hatch so many of your baskets, so many of your eggs in all these areas that will expire in due time? Singapore is a wonderful place to practice. So many aspects of Singapore reminds us of the impermanence of our life. You think you you think this body belongs to you? You think you own this body? No, it has a lifespan. It has it has a COE. <laughs> <laughs> The difference is that our body cannot be extended. <laughs> At least for the cars, you can extend, you know. Just pay a bit of money. So I say, the COE, I mean, no offense, but I, I, I honestly feel that that's a very good thing, you know. It, it reminds you, yeah, you, you think you spend money, you buy the car, then you, you, they are told that you own the car, right? Certificate of entitlement. It's entitlement, not ownership, actually. Yeah, it's not COO, it's COE. Yeah, entitled to use the car for the duration of time. So in Singapore, we have no reason not to be enlightened, you know. Because even the system is reminding us. It's impermanent, it's not yours, you don't own it. But what else can we do? What else can we do? In a few weeks' time, some students from SPF have arranged a trip to Bhutan. Yeah, so I'll be doing my usual routine where I will clear up my things, prepare for the trip. My preparation for a trip is quite different from most people. Most people will prepare in advance what they want to bring to the trip. For me, I will prepare what I'm going to leave behind during the trip. Not what I'm going to bring. What I bring is usually just one small bag. But then I can do that because I don't change my ropes. <laughs> I mean, what, I'm a monk, what do I care? <laughs> oh boy. Let's enjoy this awkward moment of silence. <laughs> Uh, but on a serious note, yeah, I will do that. I will clear the place a bit. I'll look through and then uh, make sure that if I were to not come back, whoever has to take care of the, uh, be responsible for the undertaking, yeah, to sort out the, the belongings, have an easy time. Part of the reason was because I was tasked to do that when one of the my senior monks passed away. And it took me almost a whole week just sorting out the, all the things. <laughs> yeah. Because I was the I was the Kamana official uh, in charge of carrying out uh, executing um, uh, what do you call that? Motions. Yeah. Task. Things to be carried out officially, I'm, I'm the one to carry out. So when I shared this with some students years back, then one of them told me, 
But most of them were like, wow, Sufu, you do that. And then one of them told me, he said, oh, I know of a, a Rinpoche who does that every night. I was like, what? Let me repeat myself. I will prepare my place before I go off on a trip to clear things up, to put everything in order, in case if I die during a trip, such that whoever needs to clear up the things and distribute the, the items will have an easy time. And then that student told me that he knows this Rinpoche, and probably not the only Rinpoche, and probably many other senior monks and nuns do that on a regular basis. And he told me that that particular Rinpoche do it every single night. Oh, and then it struck me like, yeah, because every single night when we go to sleep, <laughs> we, we really have no idea that we're going to wake up this morning. Because this morning when you woke up, did you wake up and like, like, <gasps> oh gosh, I, I, I woke up again. Yay! Oh, oh I woke up. Oh. Did, you, did you do that? You sometimes do that, really? You sure? Like the way I just did, like, oh, oh. You did that? Sometimes. How, some, how many times? Let's be precise. How many times? Three. Once a month. Yeah. Do you need to see me for counseling after this? <laughs> okay, okay. But, you think about it, why do we not do that? It's, it's the, the answer is the same as, why when you are breathing now, you don't feel surprised? You don't feel surprised at all. Like, you've been breathing, you're not surprised like, why should I be surprised? I was breathing, I'm still breathing, I'm still alive, so I should still be breathing. Breathing shouldn't be a problem. Like, well, why should it be a problem? We think that breathing shouldn't be a problem. We think that when we open our eyes, we, can, we should be able to see. But you know what? Just last year, and last last year, this a, a student, there was one day, like in the middle of the day, she was not doing anything particular, no strenuous sport, you know, nothing, nothing really heavy. And suddenly out of the blue, she just feel her, her eyes like uncomfortable. And within a few hours, not over a month, you know, over, within a few hours, it's like someone turned off the brightness. The vision started to tunnel and it became dimmer and dimmer. And before you know it, he, she could barely see. She totally freaked out. She texted me. I was like, oh, what happened? By the time she texted me, she was in the hospital. Like, and, and this is where, when, when there's nothing wrong, then who comes to the triple jam? Oh, I'll fall sick in the day. can you do some dedication for me? <laughs> oh, never in her life. Oh, several times in her life, she's been very sincere. But every time there's, oh, that, Sufu. So I did some prayers, and, and of course through medical aid, yeah, she gradually, you know, recovered. If it happens to us, will we be surprised? Of course, we'll be surprised. And the reason is because unconsciously we have this unspoken expectation that 
when we open our eyes, we can see. When we close, we can't see. When we open, of course, we can see. When we wake up, we can hear. And when we wake up, rouse from our sleep, we should be able to move. And that's why when elderly, when they wake up in the morning and they suddenly feel like they can't move their hands or they feel a tingling sensation, they are so worried. They are stricken. And, and that's this, all these thoughts going through. And sometimes people just... I've heard that my dad, sometimes when she, he wake up and she's, he's not feeling well, he just sit there and, until my mom wonders, hey, how come I've never hear anything from him? Then he come in, then she come in and like see him just sitting down there. And I'm like, I don't know why you're Why do we do that? Why do we respond in that way? It's because perhaps we have over time, gotten so used to being alive, gotten so used to being healthy, that there's this unspoken assumption that, yes, the faculties will work. It is the way it is. It will not break down. That's why we are so surprised. But this, this complacency and assumption doesn't have to be that way. If we were to perhaps spend some time to reflect, yeah, we may open our eyes and see clearly that, yeah, this is not to be taken for granted. But this is not about paranoia. This is not about thinking that, oh, I'm going to die soon. Oh, uh, my eyes is going to go blind. Sifu said that the other day. <laughs> yeah, It is about, it's not so much about death, but more about living. Not so much about worrying for sickness, but asking ourselves, knowing that health and sickness is part of the same equation, in that same seesaw balance. Then we have to ask ourselves, in that case, when we have health, what should we do with this health? Some time back, I shared my attitude about work. You see, you hear this? This is not a good, good sign, you know? This is not some, some family going off on a party, you know? Yeah, this is a sign that someone is in, in urgent need for medical assistance. We should consider what we, sh- we, we can do with our health. It's not worrying about death. It's to ask ourselves, knowing that life and death is part and parcel of the same equation as well, then what should we do with this life of ours? For if we totally subscribe to the Buddha's teaching, then what is the implication? What does it all mean? It means that you have to consider that this life of ours is really the result of our past merit. Every single breath we take is part and parcel of that merit that we are slowly using up, just like a candle burning up. When we offer the the, the candle, you can use that as a reflection. When you offer flowers, you can use that as a reflection. 
Then you've got to ask yourself, how do you want to live your life? Less about how you're going to die, really. Because how you live your life is going to determine how you're going to die and then be reborn. Given that if you are not enlightened yet. That can perhaps help us face death. But facing death is not just about every day preparing your house and your belongings for people to take away. But it's part of that. To recognize that any time you may taken away. And if you recognize that and the people want to take away, then you, you, you don't have to feel so miserable about people taking it away because you know that, yeah, okay, sure. I sometimes tell myself, I ask myself, what else do I want to do with, with this life? Given that my life is due to past marriage, what else can I do with this life? Yes, sometimes I have small little mini projects here and there, you know, set up the visualizer, yeah, explore, see whether the tablet can work. Yeah, but that's just a small part of my life. Sometimes I, when I receive messages from students about how the teachings have helped them look at things differently, improve their life, their relationship with their spouse or whoever, I'm like, okay, I think I can retire now. <laughs> I don't know. If you think about the 10 boxes earlier, what if you now consider another 10 boxes? And now the 10 boxes is not about the happiness that you can have in this life. But to ask yourself, if there are, if there are 10 boxes that's going to be placed in front of your body when you die, to showcase what you have contributed to this world, what will it be? Have you filled up the 10 boxes sufficiently? And if you have, then you, you can say, you know what, I may be 35 years old, but I have filled it up, I'm good. <laughs> if I die next, next year or next day, no problem. Will you be able to do that? And if you are not able to, you have to ask yourself, okay, that 10 boxes... What have you put in so far? And this is about the contribution you have done to this world. Not just about satisfying yourself, but what have you done for anybody? And I'm not here to make you feel miserable. Oh, I didn't do anything. No, I'm here to tell you, many of us fail to see our contribution to others. And that's why we are not able to face death. Because in fact, in, many, in our own ways, abide imperfect ways. We have contributed to other people. We have contributed to their well-being. First and foremost, I want all of you who are parents to raise your hands. All parents, please raise your hands. Let me assure you, by, by, by that I mean that you have kids. Huh? Okay? Let me assure you, in that 10 boxes, you can easily fill up 4 to 5 boxes ready. For every child that you have, you can fill up at least 1 or 2 or 1.5, depending on how much the, the child requires you to give attention. Now, I'm not just trying to say things to make you feel good. I'm not such a person. You can ask around. 
I'm not exactly known for saying things that make people feel good. I'm known for making people feel uncomfortable with what I say. So rest assured, if you feel good, it's not because I'm trying to make you feel good. But I'm telling you, many people feel that I didn't do much. I just go and work. I didn't really spend time with them. I didn't care for them. I didn't bring them to Disneyland and so on. Yeah, it'd be nice if you if a father and mother can bring their kids to Disneyland, but so what if you didn't? You know Chinese say Yang Yu Yeah, Yang and Yu. Never say one. Mew say one Yang Yu It's Yang Yu Yang no giving the material yeah care and then yu educating your child. And educating your child is not simply about sending your child to, to school and then making sure that your child has tuition. Yeah, that's part of, a small part of it. But it's about educating your child in the ways of life. And I've been telling my parents, my mom, my dad, you should be proud of yourself. If not about me, but of all your children. Not simply because your children went to university or whatever. Not because they have a big house or car or whatever. No. But because you have taught them values. You have taught them values. My mom always tells me, I was young. I'm the most useless. And since young, I've been telling her, Why do you say that? It's as though we, we, are, we are horrible people. <laughs> Now, and in case if your children grow up to be horrible people, <laughs> now, I may be laughing, but I'm not laughing at you. It's a, it's a sad thing because I've sat down with many parents and they, they are around my age, some are older than me, and they sit down with me families, they talk how they cry, you know, tears. They, they have all but given up, you know. They're like, I don't know what else to do, Sufu. Just tell me, tell me what I need to do. They are, they are so lost because they have tried and tried and tried and the children just... Some are just in their primary school, some in secondary school, some in their 20s. And some are... Fa- they, are they are successful and failure in their own right, you know. And the thing is that the parents feel so much, such a great sense of, of burden and responsibility for their seeming failure. And this is what I want to tell all parents. Something that I've been harping over and over again. That our children is the product of many, many factors of which we are a crucial part when we, they were young. So when they are young, if you see small little rascals, you can look at the parents and say, hey, you never teach her. You can say that. But when the child has grown up, it's really the child, hey, you never learn. Ah. Because when the child is young, it really requires input from, from the parents. But even then, it's not that the child is totally absorbed of all responsibilities. Neither are the parents. Parents are involved in the process. And this is what I ask parents to do. 
I sometimes ask them to take these cards, you know, these reflection cards, and I ask them to do this. I ask them to, to, to play the, the tower of cards, the house of cards, and form the pyramid. And it's not as easy as it seems, especially when you are doing it in front of a whole hall of people. And you know, you get the idea. If we can extend the time by one hour, we can perhaps do it. <laughs> if you think this is difficult, I ask them to stack three layers. And when they, some of them give up, like, they're like, and I say, no, no, try again, try again. I'm surprised so many of them actually humor me. But I'm glad they did, because when they go through that, then they, and then I tell them the message. Then it makes a lot of sense. And I tell them, what if now I ask you to do it with your husband? And they look at me like, you know, after 15 minutes, half an hour of trying and failing and collapsing many times, they finally form three layers. Some of them stop at two. It's like, so that's, I think that's all. Like, I'm not even breathing. Like, And then when I tell them, now do it with your husband. Each of you can only hold one card at a time. And they look at me like, you know what, you play lah. <laughs> and that's how life is about, you know. Your child comprises many of these cards. And each of these cards are input from father, mother, from themselves, from the nursery teacher, from the primary school teachers, and eventually from their friends that they allow to put inside. And as they grow up, more and more of the cards are no longer put in by parents. More and more of the cards are actually put in by themselves. So why should parents feel so burdened with how the children end up? If you have put in the right cards to begin with. What this means is that parents are not totally absolved of responsibility but not totally to be blamed or burdened for the outcome as well. But this is just one part of life. An important part, no less. And if you can apply the same principle, perhaps it can help you to um, look at various parts of your life. I mean, we are running short of time. We have seven minutes left. Life is too large to waste thinking, fearing death. It's up to each and every one of us to look at our life and ask ourselves, what have we done? And my point about this parent-child thing is, if you have done your part, know that out of the ten boxes, that you would have to show when you pass away eventually, you have at least filled up quite a, quite a few boxes already. Good job. You know, good job. Don't feel bad about it yourself. But wait, some of you who are single and, you know, they're like, oh, it's for them, what about us? Likewise, don't think little of good, of the little good that you have done. All the times where you 
went into the lift and you held the door. How many of you have never done that before? Never? Like you go into the lift and you see someone running over and you just do 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 do. Anybody? No, right? All of us would quite naturally like hold, hold the lift. When you walk past one of the doors in a shopping mall, you will hold the door for someone behind, isn't it? Yeah? And sometimes people will just walk past and not take over from you. And they will not even say thank you. And it makes you feel like, well, what is this? I become Jaga. And it's not just one person because the whole family decided to just all rush in and then like even maybe push you to the side. <laughs> and makes you feel horrible. But yet, the next day you still do this. Let me tell you, this makes you a good person. A wonderful person. You should be proud of that. Don't think little of these small little things. Because how many of us discovered a cure for cancer? How many of us have a chance to say, Yeah, Sifu, I'm not so bad. I saved three persons' life last year. This year I almost saved one person. But it's only April, so who's counting? How many of us can say that? Not many. Yeah? Unless you're in the medical field. <laughs> yeah? But at the same time, those in the medical field... I know a lot of doctors and nurses who feel miserable because for every one person they save, there's always that 10 other person they didn't save. And they're like, oh shit. And I'm telling you, you cannot spend your life worrying about the the one person you didn't save. Because if you, each hour, each minute, each second, you worry about that, you fret over that, you're going to end up losing more. So facing death is perhaps not so much about thinking about what will happen after that, but asking yourself, what do you want to have happened before that? How do you want to people do you want how do you want people to to come up to your coffin and look upon you and think and say? Because being unenlightened, we will definitely do some stupid things here and there. <laughs> I've done my share <laughs> of, of stupid things and my share of not-so-stupid things and some would say quite good things. And I know that even while I'm alive, not everybody is happy with me. The important thing is, can you sleep with it? Are you, is, are you able to have your conscience clear? And in the same way, it's the same when you're going to approach death, will you approach death peacefully? But peace is not something outside. Peace is if you can live with what you have done or not done. Don't live your life thinking about the one thing you didn't do or the one thing that you did. Yes, there are things that we have done. Things that we have done, you cannot undo it. <laughs> like seriously. If it's something that you shouldn't have done and you did it, Don't do it again. That's it. End of story. That is repentance in Buddhism. But many times, for many people, the regret is over things that they didn't do. And unfortunately, some things that you didn't do, you didn't do. You cannot go and do it again. So the next time if you encounter something, that's worthwhile doing, that you should be doing, don't, don't hesitate. 
Don't wait for one more moment. And in some ways, you've got to ask yourself, is this how you live your life? Because how you live your life is going to probably, not probably, it's going to determine how our life will come to an end and how we're going to move on to the next life. Next week we'll come back to look at the other part. Dealing with the death of a loved one. Good night. Yen